Thanks for joining Insight to Enlight. I'm your host, James Cody. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. Got some interesting uh, ideas thrown my way, and we're going to try to tackle all of those ideas to, as the shows come out and the episodes come out. We're going to cover a lot of things that people uh, have been talking about, their questions, their concerns, as far as their churches, their belief systems. It's amazing how many people have questions that are never answered, uh, feelings that are never dealt with concerning the Christian faith or their belief system in God. A lot of churches are intimidated to even allow people to ask the questions, let alone answer these questions that people have about their belief system, what they hear, what, they, what they've been taught. Things that looks like contradictions in the Bible or, or they don't understand why we do certain things in a church service that, or it seems like there's nothing to support what's being taught from the Bible. There's all kinds of different directions one could go with these issues, but we want to go in today's show and it's going to be about emotions and music. I want to remind everyone about the four rules of the podcast. Number one, context is key. And when we're talking about context, there's five W's that I go by. The five W's of context, and that is who, what, when, where, and why. When you're looking at something in the Bible, when you're trying to understand what's going on, what should be happening or what should not be happening, you always want to look for who it concerns what it is concerning, when did it happen, where did it happen, and why did it happen. If you apply those five W's, you, you will find the context of the scripture you're looking at. But it's very important to have context in any situation, especially concerning the Christian faith. The second rule of the podcast is the Bible has to be the authority and priority. It is our go-to place to know who God is, who Jesus is, everything about the Christian faith, that is our go-to for information. There's a reason why God has allowed this book to stay in circulation for generations to come. So we can't take that lightly. You still have to have a baseline to judge everything by. If you have no baseline, you have no place to start, no place to end. The Bible has to be the authority that you judge things by. And it has to take priority. And what I mean by priority is it means that, that means you cannot choose someone's thoughts, their opinions, or their experiences over what the Bible says is true. And we can't base ourselves off emotions and experiences to be the truth. The third rule, extremism will lead to double standard every time. Now, extremism is a far left or far right approach to your belief system. It's not staying centered. It's not staying moderate. You have a very extreme viewpoint and belief system that you live by. And the problem with that is it will lead to gray areas in your life of double standard. Now, what is a double standard? A lot of times, uh, people who believe extreme viewpoints, they do not allow for others' humanity, for others' mistakes, for, for mercy, for grace in other people until they go through the same problem or worse, and then they want people to allow for their humanity. They want people to give them mercy and grace. The problem with the double standard situation is that when that person who has extreme beliefs makes allowances for themselves or someone that they care about over what they teach, and then they go back to still teaching their extreme viewpoints, that's when they have become a person of double standard. They teach one thing, 
they make people follow one way, but they follow their own different way or allow others that they enjoy or they like or they respect or they want to protect from their extremism to live another. Number four, this is an opinion-based podcast, which means I am speaking from my opinion of what I see, from my interpretation of what I read. I am not the authority. I do not have certifications. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a church leader. I'm just a regular guy giving you my take on Christianity and what the Bible says about it. So moving on. Our show today, like I said, is about emotions and music. This idea was brought to me by someone who had listened to one of my previous podcasts. And I had also put things out there online saying that, you know, we're going to, we're going to delve into all the, the deep, heavy stuff, the hard questions, the hard topics that nobody wants to talk about. I, I asked people, uh, you know, what, what would you like to talk about? What are some things that's on your mind? Well, someone brought up the emotional connection with music in church and how that affects the church, which I think is, is a great, is a great topic. And, and is, it wasn't what I was going to go to next on the show, but it really does lay a good secondary foundation to what I do want to go to in the show. And it does pull really strongly from the first show of the foundation or, and that was about who is the church? What is the church? Where should the church meet? And long story short on that, Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in his name, that he is there with them. That is an assembly of the saints. Two or three or more. If that's happening in someone's dining room, if it's happening in a diner, if it's happening outside, if it's happening in a church facility, if it's happening in a stadium, it doesn't matter. It's an assembly of two or three or more. So that is biblical assembly. But what is the, the problem with emotions and music in the church? Well, it's no secret that music plays a major role in today's church. Fifty years ago, a guy could get up on a, a platform with an acoustic guitar and belt out a song, and there might be some other musicians that could sing along with him or her. They would have church. They would have a church service. They would call that their worship service. It didn't take people who had the top line of equipment, the, the latest processors, the latest pedals, the, the latest keyboards, the latest equipment, microphones, what have you. It wasn't uh, extremely difficult arrangements on the music. It was basically three or four chords and, and you were in. And anybody could jump in most of the time and sing along, even, even if they had never heard the, the song before. They could just jump in. I can talk about this because I'm a musician. I've been a musician for the last 25 years plus. Anyhow, I, I know a little bit about music and how it affects people and how, how it should be done if you want people to join along with what you're doing. If you're wanting to be just people to sit back and spectate what's being done musically, then, then enter in the way the modern church is doing it today. If you want people to actually join in and become a part of the music service, then look back 50 years ago how they did it because they did easy sing-along type songs, easy chord arrangements, and you didn't need a 15-piece band to sound like the song you were trying to sing. Music itself is a very 
emotional provoking medium. Emotions come from the spirit side of man. Emotions come from deep within man's core. It is what is used to explain what's going on inside of the man. There are four kinds of basic emotions. Those are happiness, sadness, fear, and anger. Now, there are some more emotions that go along with that. That's not, that's not all of our emotions at once. We have interest, joy, surprise, sadness, anger, disgust, contempt, self-hostility, fear, shame, shyness, guilt. We have lots of emotions inside of us. During the 1970s, uh, a psychologist, Paul Ekman, identified six basic emotions that he suggested were universally experienced in all human cultures. Uh, those emotions he identified were happiness, sadness, disgust, fear, surprise, and anger. Then he later expanded his list of basic emotions to include such things as pride, shame, embarrassment, and excitement. Those are all things that are touched by music. They can either be heightened by music or suppressed by music, depending on what type of music, whatever you're listening to and how it's presented to you. It can touch all sorts of those areas of emotions. Humans are emotional beings. There's no way that we can function outside of emotions. Emotions are who we are, and they describe who we are and how we are and how we feel. And we cannot set that aside and be human. So for people to expect emotions to be not present in a, in a worship setting with music and or speaking, to expect people to not be moved emotionally at all is an impossibility and really not one that God even expects out of us. We have five senses. We have the sense of sight, touch, smell, taste, and sound. When you couple that with the six basic emotions, you have happiness, sadness, disgust, fear, surprise, and anger. We are beings of sensory. And things that move our sensory are things we're going to gravitate to. So naturally, music is a multi-billion dollar industry in today's world, and it has been for a while. People are moved by music, by singing. This is why music and songs are used in movies, popular movies, to help push the, the feeling, the idea that the movie is trying to, to convey to the person who's watching it. That's why certain songs are used when you're watching a movie. There is nothing going on but dialogue, but the music in the background suggests to you what you should be feeling. If you should feel anxious, if you should feel worried, if you should feel happy or relieved, anything. They use, they use the music in the movies to help you pull up the emotion they need you to feel for the scene that you're watching. People listen to radios, podcasts, flash drives to CDs, whatever, the, whatever you got. It is very interesting that people are listening to vinyl records again. That in itself, hearing music that they enjoy on a medium that is vintage, brings back feelings of nostalgia. It adds a, a, another emotional touch to that music because of the very medium that they're listening to it on. Music is a very emotional thing. But here's the problem that we experience in the church. 
Pentecostal-based churches are really susceptible to the emotionalism that is connected with music and speech. Those that adhere to the Pentecostal doctrines place a high premium on their interaction with God's Spirit. Pentecostalism includes many extended denominations. This list includes, but it's not limited to, the Apostolic Pentecost, Assemblies of God, Association of Vineyard Churches, Church of God from Cleveland, Church of God in Christ, Church of God of Prophecy, the Full Gospel Non-Denominational, the Non-Denominational, Interdenominational, Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, the list goes on. There's a lot of denominations that places a very high premium on their interaction with God's Spirit. I find it unsettling that this same Spirit that dwelled within Jesus himself, the same Spirit that struck people dead for bearing false witness in the early New Testament church is so flippantly and irresponsibly used by this type of belief system and how they interact. It appears that while these groups of people are trying to give credit where credit is due, and I say that quotations, or in quotations, give God all the glory, they are actually devaluating the magnitude and sovereignty of the spirit of which they claim to hold in high regard. It seems like in in an effort to give God glory or to quote-unquote operate in faith, as they like to explain it, they pin every little thought and whim that passes through their heads from small actions to outright stupid actions on the Spirit of God. Yes, I mean stupid by definition, which means ignorant, unlearned. They don't think about anything they're doing. They respond or do or say or sing, act, however they want to act. And instead of taking responsibility for what they've said or done, they want to blame that they were led or moved by the Spirit of God to do so. Unfortunately, my observation on the most common use of the Spirit within these organizations is to simply speak what they consider, quote-unquote, prophecy or words of knowledge to other members. This practice is generally used to tell others what they should or should not do, say or not say, or give or not give. And I call this the mediator complex within the leadership of these denominations. If you are a child of God, you do not need a mediator on your behalf other than Christ himself. Curiously, this mediator complex is one of the foremost reasons for the Protestant movement from the Catholic Church. Yet now the Protestants are setting themselves up as mediators in the name of God, not much unlike how the Catholic Church, which they protested. Not a surprise that most Protestants have no clue as to why they are called Protestant, or what and why they protest. It is clear that if you lose your foundation, you will ignorantly fall into the bondage of a self-appointed mediator. And you know, commonly these type of church leaders create the situation of mediator, which causes their constituents to believe that they need the church leader to contact God on their behalf. It seems like members begin to believe that they cannot hear from God as well or as clear as the church leader can. This leads to the impression or even a distinct awareness that they, the members, need a leader or a pastor to mediate on their behalf. And I must say, I've seen some of these uh, mediator complex pastors in action. It would appear that God sure does talk to them a lot, or it seems like God changes his mind quite often, or gets confused quite often, because these people are always hearing from God, except they're always changing their mind, 
they'll start an activity or a process and they'll change it because they've gotten bored with it or they can't get the, the backing from the members on it. And suddenly God changes his mind to allow them to change to another way that maybe the people will follow. Uh, I've heard pastors get up before they preach and say that they had a sermon prepared, but God changed their sermon right before they got to the platform. And I'm thinking, you spent a week preparing for today's sermon, and God decided to change it on the spot before you got up there because God was not aware who was going to be there. And that person showed up, evidently, that needs to hear this new sermon. And God's like, oh, we got to scramble and and redo this because I was was not expecting so-and-so to show up to your service today, so go ahead and preach this sermon. They can't respectfully get up and say, you know, I studied all week and I prayed about this and I thought I'd heard what God wanted me to speak. But today I just realized what God is wanting me to say. So I'm going to do that. They won't take the responsibility off themselves. They put it on God, make God look like God is taken by surprise and has to change things right at the last moment. I've heard worship leaders do the same things with song. They have a song list. The band has rehearsed, prepared, ready to go. Day of service, right before they go on stage, I feel like God is telling me we don't need to do this song. We need to change this song to this song. No, you just now heard from God or you are operating from your emotions. You know someone's out there you wasn't expecting. You think this song is going to move them emotionally. I don't know. But we can know one thing. God is the the creator and the foundation of everything we know that exists. I think he can look far enough a week ahead to who's going to be at a service that he doesn't have to have people change their sermons or their song list to fit who's going to show up or doesn't show up. But this mediator complex that I'm talking about, unfortunately, doesn't just stop with, say, the pastor, the church leader of the organization. It has moved to the worship leaders as well. Worship leaders tend to make themselves appointed mediators for the congregation. It's as if they haven't made all the paths open themselves that nobody else can really get into the worship service as well unless the leader makes it happen. Believe me, I know that they believe this way because I once did. I once was a worship leader. I did operate as a worship pastor for quite a few years and I've been in worship bands for even longer and I do understand the concept that we are to create this what they call a safe place an atmosphere of worship for the service for the people to enter in it's as if we don't do our job if we don't successfully become mediators for the congregation that stands in front of us that the majority of the congregation is going to miss out and making a connection with God that day Because we as mediators did not mediate that. That is not how it works. We are not mediators for anybody. We answer for ourselves. We worship for ourselves. We learn for ourselves. We ask forgiveness for ourselves. We repent for ourselves. Nobody can do it for us. Nobody can repent for us. Nobody can absolve us. Nobody can buy us out of torment, out of heaven or hell. We cannot be purchased with money. We can only be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can only be forgiven by his blood, by his sacrifice. We cannot be absolved by any man on this earth. We cannot confess enough times to anybody on this earth. We have to confess to God. 
We have to ask God for forgiveness. We don't need anybody to lead us to the throne room. We all individually have access to the throne room of God. We all individually have access to talk to God, to sing to God, to pray to God on our own behalf. We do not need a worship leader to take us there. We do not need a pastor to take us there. We don't need anybody to take us there. The Apostle Paul was not joking when he says, you are in no need of a teacher. The Holy Spirit will teach you in all things. He will lead you and guide you in all things. You do not need to have someone else lead you and guide you for you to make a connection with God. Unfortunately, in modern church, they don't see it that way. They believe that they've got to make that connection for you. And how do they do that? What they say is a spiritual movement going on in a church service. What they say is the spirit of God moving into church service is not the spirit of God at all. It's emotions. They have been working and manipulating your emotions from the time you step through the door to the moment you leave. And it is done many ways. It is from how you're greeted, from what greeter they choose. They select people who look like they're going to be welcoming and make people feel at ease when they walk into a building. That is the first place where you begin your journey of emotional manipulation. The second thing that they do, create a festive and exciting atmosphere to set the service off. They have someone who comes up and makes announcements to greet the congregation, to greet all who come, to give announcements, to create this feeling of excitement and expectancy before the music kicks off. When the music begins to start, That is where everything is geared up to get you to feel something strongly. We would call it hype. They begin to start hyping you up in one way or another. It goes so many ways. Of course, everything is done in the name of God. Everything is done in the name of it's a spirit, the spirit of God that is moving you and controlling them and controlling you if you'll just allow it. For some reason, people in this belief system have this idea that God wants perfect little robots. God, the creator, created us with emotions and senses. He gave us a personality. He gave us free will to make a choice to do something or not do something, to do right or to do wrong. We have all this free will inside of us. But for some reason, people are taught that God wants us to be robots and not think for ourselves at all and to not be individual to God. Don't give him your individuality. Be a cookie cutter Christian. And I don't know where this comes from or why people believe. I mean, I have my ideas of where it comes from and what scriptures they're looking at to get this idea. But it's not what God wants. God created us as individuals, as one of a kind. And no one can be you better than you. No one can be me better than me. And God doesn't want me and you being the same person, talking to him the same way, singing to him the same way, and having a relationship with him in the same way. He enjoys our individuality. For us to set our individuality aside would be the worst thing we could do to honor God who created such a vast, open, different, expansive universe. 
suddenly we are trying to be pigeonholed into a, a certain emotion and moved by a certain emotion. There's nothing wrong with feeling emotions or being emotional about God. God created those emotions inside of us. And he wants those emotions to be expressed to him and to others. For us to feel like we can't have those emotions showing inside of our activities while we assemble, that would be wrong. Here's where it becomes wrong. When we act out of our emotion, but we say it was the Spirit of God who made us do it. When we say something out of our emotion, but we say it was the Spirit of God who made us say it, that's when we get into trouble. It really bothers me to hear someone say or do these things in the name of God, in the name of the Spirit, without any fear of blaspheming the Spirit of which they claim made them do it. There is a very important and dangerous thing to understand here, and that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit isn't just saying that He isn't doing something that He is doing. It's also saying that he's doing something that he's not doing. So what is the takeaway from this episode, Emotions and Music? Don't be afraid to be emotional for God. Don't be afraid to show your emotions when you gather with other believers. Don't be afraid to feel what you feel, to love what you love, to to enjoy what you enjoy about God. But be careful to know and to be clear and take responsibility that it's your actions, your feelings, your emotions that's causing you to do things. Don't say it's the Spirit of God. Don't blame it on God. Don't blame it on the Spirit. If you feel like the Spirit of God is directing you or telling you to do something or say something, there's nothing wrong with saying, I feel like God is wanting me to do this. I feel like the Spirit is telling me to do this. So I'm just going to do this. And if it connects with you, then great. If it don't, don't hold it against me. There's nothing wrong with having humility in speaking things like that. There's nothing wrong with making people aware, hey, I'm human. I think that I'm hearing this from God, but I could be wrong. If you decide you're so happy in a service that you want to jump up and down, then jump. If you're so happy in a service that you want to run around the building, then run around the building. If you're so happy in a service that you want to shout to the top of your lungs, then do so. If that's, you know, if the congregation of people that you're with are are cool with that, then do it. But do it because you feel that way, because you want to express that way. But don't do it and say it's the Spirit that made you do it. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't need to evoke your emotions. He doesn't need to press buttons in you to make you do something like that there's no good that comes out of that for you you can scream shout and holler dance run and jump and it's not going to make you a better person tomorrow it's not going to change your life tomorrow or today people jump shout dance yell scream laugh bounce around whatever they do it doesn't make them any better or a different person they just have emotions that they are expressing the spirit of god is much deeper and reason why we have the Spirit of God. And it's to give us power to withstand the darkness. It's to comfort us in the absence of Christ. It's to teach us, to lead us, and guide us. To take away our ignorance, to give us some knowledge, and give us something solid, give us a a sound mind. We need to, to really learn the difference between emotion and spirit. 
And we need to quit making our services focused on manipulating and, and provoking emotions more focused on people learning something. Because emotions, they're fleeting, but knowledge stays forever. If you want people to really change, you got two choices. You can create the emotional sensory overload that most church services are today, or you can actually teach them something that will change their lives. Thanks again for joining us on Insight to Enlight. If you have any questions or comments, you can send those to feedback at i2eshow.com. That's the letter I, the number two, the letter E, S-H-O-W dot com. We hope you join us again on Insight to Enlighten.